Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's guest. He grew up playing for Storm before switching over to Thundercats. He attended Durham College, where they won a silver medal in the OCAA, and he took them to nationals. He was a member of the OCAA All-Rookie Team that year. He's represented Canada on the beach already, winning a silver at Norseka U23. He's a coach currently for Thundercats, and you'll see him this summer representing Team Canada on the, ble- on the beach. Excuse me. Please welcome to the show, Ruse Bay Rondevard. Ruse, thanks for doing this, man. Wow, what an intro. <laughs> that fired me up. That means a lot coming from you. Like, yeah, that's nice. Um, yeah, I'm happy to be here. Happy to talk about my story. I want to tell you guys some stuff about beach volleyball, some coaching stuff. So ready to go. Yeah, man. So take it take it from the top here. So people who aren't familiar with you, uh, what were you doing when you were younger? And how did you discover volleyball to be like your main passion? Yeah, I'll give you like the spark notes. So like 14U is the first year I ever started playing club volleyball. I played for Storm. And... That was like such a rough year for me, honestly. Like the first year I ever played, I got this coach, Neil. I wish I could find him now somehow and talk to him and just thank that guy because honestly, he like, he kind of shit on me a little bit, but also like gave me such a drive and like nurtured this chip on my shoulder. Like he taught me defense and like how to play gritty volleyball. But like, I didn't really like him as a person. We didn't really click and like me and we didn't like have the greatest experience. So, I went to Thundercats the year after and like 15 U, I still sucked. Like honestly, looking back at it now coaching and like from his experience, I, I feel for the guy having to deal with me at like 14. But um, yeah, the next year I went to Thundercats at 15 U and I was like, I think I was like the 13th player that he took on the roster. So he didn't want to take 13. He wanted to take 12. And I was just like begging him like, dude, please take me. So he took me as a 13th player in 15U, and it wasn't fair play back then um, like it is now. So we would go into – it was like the 15-point rule. So we would go play games. I didn't really get to play that year either. I remember crying at Nationals, 15U Nationals in Edmonton or was it Calgary or something. And we're in like Tier 4 or like Division 4, Tier 1. We got a gold medal. I remember crying, like being so sad about that year and then – the next year, it was like the first year that I actually like, you know, put one foot in the door and like took it seriously. 16U, we got a good result. I didn't really play at all until nationals. At nationals, I stepped up when someone else got injured. And then 17U and 18U, I was like fully committed, fully in. Um, and yeah, I just played Thundercats my whole way through. And then after that, I took a year off feel like i should let you jump in i'm just like rambling no no keep it going keep going i do have to ask though i know you in your 20s uh and you're a pretty high energy edgy guy is that maybe why you butted heads with coach as like a 14 year old were you were you the same energy with maybe not the same level of emotional intelligence oh my god like the emotional intelligence or the skill to be able to back it up like it doesn't work if you're terrible right like <laughs> and i probably like i was so you know at 14 like i was I was a different kid, you know, I was still very, like, had a lot of pent-up anger, like, a lot of stuff through my childhood and stuff like that. Like, I got, I was raised by my mom alone, you know, like, a lot of things coming from a different country, my culture, it's like, you take things a little bit differently, and I was on a team storm where all these kids, I think their parents or their siblings had played, so, like, you know, maybe I took it personally, and I, you know, like, I took it a little bit wrong, And but one time he made us run until we threw up, we didn't even have nets up we showed up 
14 you boys. There's towels out on the floor. And then we're just like pushing this towel to get to the other side and back. And we do things like that or like, oh man, I'm going to flame him right here. Neil, if I ever see you, I'd like to thank you. But also this was wrong. He like, we would run suicides and the guy who finished first was done. So potentially if you're the slowest guy, you're running 12 suicides, even though you're running as hard as you can. So those, yeah, we had like moments like that, but I think I definitely, I butted heads with him because like I wasn't as good and I wasn't as emotionally intelligent, like you said. Um, and yeah, just, I was a little shit. <laughs> Take me one step uh, further back. Uh, when you say you didn't grow up here, like when did you move to Canada? Right. Like, so I did, I moved here when I was four. So that's still like a baby, but yeah, like when I was four, we moved here. My mom came here alone. And basically like throughout four to 10, my dad came back and forth from Iran to here for work and stuff like that. And it just didn't work out. It wasn't like a great guy. Um, so then after like nine, 10, my mom raised me till now helping my grandma and my aunts and stuff like that and other family. Nice. Nice. So as you're going through club and like you said, around 16, you started taking it way more serious and got a little bit more passionate about it. When did you know post-secondary was going to be a thing? Like, were you chasing down coaches? Did Durham give you a call? Like, when did you know you could play at the post-secondary level? It's funny. So I took a fifth year and I planned on taking one semester in high school and playing volleyball, basically. And because all my grades were good for grade 12, I had all the stuff that I needed to. I was applying to Ryerson for early childhood development and then... Um, a couple of different colleges and stuff like that. But the only university was Ryerson I wanted to go to. And I was thinking about it, but I knew I wanted to take a year off and work and just like get my feet wet and see how I like it. So I took a fifth year and <laughs> we went around dominating every single team. Like I have five school volleyball players, like the epitome of school volleyball players. And oh, actually I had Jason Kazis. He was also a rep player, but my fifth year I played it didn't really go well, which I'll tell that story later. But once that happened, I kind of realized I wanted to work and coach and see what I want to do. And I realized like I want to get into the sports business or sports, something in the business of sports, growing sports. I think so many people like can say, Hey, we want volleyball to be bigger. We want this to be like this and that, but not everyone will make a podcast and grow, grow the sport themselves. Right. So like I had a passion in that and I wanted to get into business and the sport of business and everything like that. So but literally, I think it was three weeks before the first class started, I like wanted to go to Durham or like two weeks before. It was so last minute. I put it all, this is how I do everything when I was like, oh, and even now I'm still working on it, right? So last minute, put all the forms and everything, all my grades, everything was good. Just because I knew Liam Gray was going to go. He's a fifth-year setter. And I knew Andrew Dubay, another left side, was going to go. And I know Liam was going to feed me. So I was like, okay, I'm going to Durham College. I had no other, like, literally no research done two weeks on just a whim. Like, now that I look back on it, it was crazy. Like, I don't know how I did that and got away with it. And, yeah, went well. Went really well. Now that was, uh, I, I had left George Brown at that time. I think Garrett was still there. So you mentioned Liam Gray, who I coached against him. He would have been a Georgian guy. And then, uh, Dubé was a big guy at Durham college. Uh, who else was on the squad that year? Um, Tyler Krabby, basically also like a school level player. 
Love you, Krabby. Um, and who else was on that team? Lucas Pichal was like a middle. He played libero for us. Uh, Sid Wilding was on that team. He was supposed to be, but then he blew out his knee. Sid played at Seneca. He was awesome. He's a really good guy. What was our starting lineup? Yeah, me, Liam. Oh, and there was also Tristan Swindon. He played in Niagara. He was a, he was pretty good. Yeah, there was actually it was a solid group of college volleyball players. Like we we did decently well for what we had. <laughs> And did you have expectations coming in? Like, obviously, you're a club player and you would have done well at, like, provincials and nationals. Did you know kind of the level of the OCAA or was it all kind of, like, eye-opening that first semester? It was, yeah, very eye-opening. I I was expecting, like, university-level players or, like, the guys that I played with, like, you know, in Provs and stuff like that, Preds and Durham, Pac-Man, those guys, and then just the level of, like, the ball also, I'll have to say, like, the ball that you play with changes the game so much. That threw me off because I was like, that's the best ball for a guy like me. You know, like, it saves my shoulder a little bit. I can hit every single ball. It really, like, if you carve it, it'll really, you know, exaggerate the motion of how you hit the ball. So that ball also changed things. But, yeah, like, I was playing right side. I wasn't expecting to come in and play right side. I was expecting to play left side. And I was like, okay, you're going to play right side. I'm like, Really? And it worked. Like, I don't know. I think also, like, part of it is I have an ego and I, like, hate losing. Even at 14, 15, 16, I watch the videos. Like, I'm running for every ball. I I don't – I think I hate losing more than I like winning. So that, like, motivated – and that – and Liam Gray also, I will say, he, like, pushed the team and he hated losing. He would just, like, rip guys apart. So, like, it made us hold us to like uh, hold ourselves to a higher standard. Yeah, I was gonna say I was digging through some of the results, and I, I know you would play like a couple university teams in preseason. I think you guys beat uh, Humber. Not that preseason matters because everybody's throwing different lineups, but um, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong. It looked like you guys rolled through the first semester pretty handily. Like, I know some of the set scores were tight, but it looks like it's either three zero or three one wins here. Yeah, literally everything except Canador. We lost to Canador. And that was the day Kobe died. So we all literally found out on the bench and everybody was just crying because Kobe died. Like not full on bawling. These are grown men, but like head down in the towel. You know, I definitely cry when I had to lose. And it felt like we already lost. Like before the game, I'm like, oh my God, Kobe died with his daughter. Like that really threw us all off. And yeah, that that's why I blame it on that, that one loss. And yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah. How did you guys stay focused the whole time? Like, uh, again, you're having success. You're beating a lot of teams 3-0. I know like Liam's a competitive guy. You're a competitive guy. Like what else kind of led to that season? Because I think Durham's always very competitive, but I'm not sure if they've ever like walked through the East here where like usually Algonquin, Seneca, George Brown, like some other schools, like Fleming has some up and down years. Like usually it, it appears to be more competitive than some of the scores I'm seeing here. Yeah, that's true. I don't know what it was. I think it was also like a lack of the other team's level. Like, I think our coaches, A, did a really good job of like establishing a good culture. Like he he made us at the very first practice or before that even. He sat us down and he made us write all these things that are like, you know, your own norms, things that you expect of yourself, things that you expect of the team. And we wrote it down and he printed it out and gave it to every person. So just like 
from before we even practice. So I think that helped us see ourselves as professionals because it's all about how you speak to yourself, how you you know view yourself. You have to view yourself like a professional, act like a professional. Eventually, you'll become a professional. But if you carry yourself in a certain way, like you know, you're just never going to get there. So I think the coaches really he wasn't a big volleyball guy, but he was big on like how you carry yourself, what time you show up to things, you know, stuff like that. So I think that helped. But also, the other teams are not great. Like the only other team that was good, I think, was Georgia. Georgian College and Algonquin. But then again, that's what I'm saying. Like these guys, and it's kind of like the culture of college volleyball, other than like Humber and certain places that like they don't carry themselves with that pride. I think that was like a second thing for them. But like all the guys that were on the court, we were practicing five days a week, like doing your lifts, doing everything you can. And I was still coaching. I would leave 5 to 7 p.m., practice from Oshawa and drive an hour to get there for eight to 10. And I would drive back home in the morning to get to my class at like nine 30. So like all of that just built so much, you know, like it kind of built up a little bit of like, you know, I deserve this. Like this is, I've worked for this. I deserve this. These guys do not deserve to win over us. And did you feel a difference when you went to uh, OCAA championships? Because uh, any of our listeners who are familiar, the West thinks they're by far the best, where I'm sure if they talked about your Durham team, I'm sure somebody would say like, oh, they, they were good for the East. But like they probably think you guys would have finished like six in the West. So looking at it, you guys went through Redeemer, Fanshawe and played Humber in the final. Like was there was there anything that felt different about going to the, the final eight? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, mm, I don't know. I think like, guys had less pressure control when we were getting to like those later games. I couldn't tell about the other teams as much. I was more focused on us, but like even on our own team, I felt, you know, when we get to those moments, even like everybody from the East and the West, I feel like everybody, they kind of lacked under pressure. And if you could be the guy to just be like solid, you would win the games. I know that doesn't really answer the question, but I don't know. I don't think there's a big difference. Like Fanshawe, they had an amazing um, culture and Humber too. They had an amazing culture. They had a bunch of people out. They were like all really on top of their game. I think, yeah, it might, you might be right. Honestly, like I wouldn't say, I would probably agree with the guys from the West to say that like we wouldn't have finished on the bottom, but first or second or, you know, third, but the rest of the teams, I definitely think the West is, a little bit more like they just have two teams there three teams that have more like volleyball culture when you guys were setting like behavior goals and like standards with coach at the start of the year was there any like outcome goals like was there talk that you were going to play in the final or that you're going to win the ocaa mm, no i don't think so i don't remember I, mm, that's a good question i don't know i was also like I didn't really do all the social events with everybody. I didn't really do all like the, I was there for the lifts and the practices and like when I had to be. And other than that, I wasn't really there. I was focused. And I think guys like Liam really like, he was like one of the only guys that was like every single day, like guys, we're going to play like in the finals. I'm making it to this point. It's his fifth year. Like, yeah, I think he had that outcome expectation, but for me, I was coaching, I was playing, it was my first year. I was like, you know, I'm going to try to focus every single game and just play every single game one by one. I remember I started an entire new routine for indoor that I never do. I don't know why I did it, but before every game of the season, 
like even before the warm-up or the meeting, the team meeting everybody has, I'd be in the locker room doing keep-ups with the ball. I'd warm my feet up. We would do our talk. Then I would just sit down with my head down on the chair, towel over my head. And I would just think like, I want to have like the aggression of this player. You know, I want to have the range of attacks of this player. I want to have like, I was just thinking of like, I want to serve like this guy. I want to defend like this guy. I want to hit like this guy. I want to have the attitude of this guy. Like, and just sitting there, putting my head down, trying to focus and then go back out. Like, I don't know what that came from. I don't know why I did that, but I feel like that whole year was just uh, like lucky. I don't know. I just like two weeks before, like, okay, I'm going to Durham college. I get a group of guys that wants to win and like, I don't know, just all went well. I didn't think too much about it in the moment. So I think that's what kind of helped. And take me through the final. Cause I imagine there's a touch of letdown where you're like, Oh, we already go to nationals. Or did you like fire up? Because uh, that Humber team that year was, was really good. I mean, Jake Gomes was there. Uh, Josh Fidari had a big year. They had some other guys that I'm not mentioning, but uh, it, it just seemed like they were maybe the favorite. And, and here's Durham who maybe you guys weren't even the favorite to beat Fanshawe in the semis, right? Yeah. Oh man, that, that game was a big letdown. If you see, if you go back and watch it, it's on YouTube. I've watched it like probably 15 times. We're up like six points in the first and we're like up seven, eight points in the second and we lose. Then we're up six in the first, seven in the second and we lost like three, three ball shanks, just nerves or whatever it was. I don't like the mesmerizer, the classic Josh Binstock, just free ball right to you, spinner right midline. And then the guy just takes his eyes off his platform and just shanks it like, and they come back. And then the end of the second set, we lost the first set. Okay, whatever. End of the second set, I get a perfect free ball transition pass to Liam. He gets a one-on-one outside. Tyler Krabby, one-on-one against Josh Fedar, straight into the hands, roof. Oh, and then after that, like, we still fought and we still were up, I think, three or four points in the third, but it just wasn't enough. Like, they were just more of a unit, I think. They had more... Like they they all understood their system better than all of us understood our system. Like maybe Liam or me or one other guy understood the system better than everybody else. But like the average of the teams, Humber understood what they were trying to do, I think, a little bit better. And their system played together a little bit better. So it just worked out in the end. And then – so- we fast forward to nationals and you guys draw Capilano and revisionist history at this point, but they were the team who eventually was going to win it. Uh, what was the prep there? Cause it can be, it can be pretty fast where you guys find out you're going to nationals uh, February 29th. And all of a sudden you're flying across the country and you play on March 12th against a team you've never seen before. And I, I don't know if they still have the same rules, but with CCAA, like sometimes they're only required to give you like two games worth of tape. Right. So how did you guys feel preparing for Nats? Kind of, I like that they, it was like seven games. I think it like gave us the stats of the last seven games of the teams. And I, right now being a beach guy, like I would rather play a team that I don't really know that I can look at like a couple things and then just read the game and, you know, evolve my, but our team got, <laughs> this is so bad. Our team got a stat shot chart of seven games, the average over seven games or six games. Like, why do we need seven games of their, I don't know. But maybe you're the coach. You know better than I do. Maybe that makes sense. And then there's serving in each rotation, right? Where they serve in each rotation, who hits out of what position, like everything. This thing is thick. 
and we're going over it. Guys are like, oh, look, he's running this on this. I'm like, we're, we're looking at paper. Why are we, like, we're looking at, and they're like, oh, we got this. If we do this, we do that. And then the classic first ball goes to this Brazilian left side. And, sorry, Portuguese? I don't know. Portuguese? Brazilian? I don't know. No, Portuguese is the language. It's stupid. But either way, it goes to the Brazilian left side. Outside ball just destroys it back door. And then we're all just like, uh, what? That was supposed to work. We served him here. Okay, it didn't work. He goes back to serve. We're like, okay, he's definitely serving into this zone and this zone. And just bombs it the other way. Like, these guys got so caught up on, I think in that stat line, if you see, I don't know. I think we tied me and Dubay for 13 kills in like four sets, three sets. Like, how? How do you only... How am I the lead scorer in that game? Oh, man, I don't know. With these guys that are so much better than us, we just played so terribly into the change room, head down, you know, like I'm so upset that we just lost this game. And everybody's just like, good try, guys. Good try. And the coach just came in and lost lost his mind. Like, just absolutely lost it. I was like, one guy is upset. One guy. Everybody else, what are you doing? You're drinking your chocolate milk or whatever, like laughing. Oh man, that that experience at nationals, that was when I was like, okay, I don't want to play indoor anymore. I'm done. I cannot rely on other people. I'm too selfish or whatever. I have too much ego, whatever you want to call it. I've got to go to beach. Yeah, just before we do move on to the beach stuff, uh, just for the listeners, because that was a gnarly year. That was the year where I think COVID stopped the world while you're at the tournament. So I think the the excuse when we had Bratsburg on the show and a couple other uh, people who played at this tournament, I think you guys were allowed to keep going because you guys started a day before, right? So I think you would have played your quarter and then COVID shut everything down and you guys had like an internal meeting being like, okay, if we're safe and smart about it, we just won't allow fans. So what was the feeling around the hotel being like, if you check your phone, everybody else is on lockdown and you guys are now trapped in a gym in a hotel and you're not allowed to communicate with any family or friends who went to watch you play nationals? Yeah, that was crazy. That was like, we got the best timing ever. I have an immigrant mom, like I said, so she packed me gloves and masks and everything on the way to nationals before it even happened. Like she was ahead of the curve. Like she knew, I don't know how she knew. She packed me gloves and I was wearing gloves in the thing and everybody's laughing at me. Like, why are you wearing gloves? I was like, trust me, dude. And then everybody afterwards was like, okay, you were right. But yeah, we went there. We're playing Timmy's, Tommy's. Tommy's, S-T-U. Yeah. Tommy's. And it's at home for them. So we're about to play. And then like 20 minutes before they told us, like, okay, we're in full lockdown. No one's allowed in. Text your parents. Text everybody. You're not allowed in. I was like, how? how is that possible? You just see people piling outside. And they're like, when people get in mobs, like when they get in groups, they get that mob mentality and they're just like smacking on the doors and stuff, trying to get in, like, let us in, let us in. Like these are people's parents that have just now turned into like, I don't know, savages trying to get in here. And then, man, that that gym was so quiet with that, that much space. You could hear everything. Like there were supposed to be all these people in. They sold about like 1,200, 1,300 tickets or something like that. In this hockey arena, and then nobody's allowed in. It was so funny. Yeah, that sucked. 
Yeah, I was going to say it was a pretty unique venue where like, yeah, like people have been to Rim Park and understand how sport court works on like an arena. But imagine you're the only court in the entire arena. So I'm sure it was just like echoey or like you say something to the guy beside you and everybody else hears it because there's no other noise in like the gym, right? Yeah, it was it was good for me. Everybody can make myself hurt. But yeah, like I don't like it. I honestly I don't like it. Like playing in front of nobody with in indoor, it's okay. You have all these other guys to feed off of on your side, on their side. Like you watch all these pro, like even the top teams in the world, you watch the crowds that they play in front of and you're just like, Are you serious? Like I think indoor players are used to it, but like I need energy. I need something from the crowd to like get you going. So you, you touched on it there where you're kind of like, yeah, the indoor is fun, but it's not for me. And you were going to take the beach a, a touch more serious. But when did you start uh, training on the beach? And, and like, actually, I think a lot of people play beach for fun here in Ontario, which is awesome and great. But when did you start getting like a coach and a training group and start like putting that together? Yeah, I think so. After I did my fifth year, it's going to be kind of like a long answer. But after I did my fifth year, we played in this game is going to give context. We played in the semifinals after rolling through every other team, the YRA, and we're playing against Pet. We go in the first set. I had, by the way, I had two chicken tenders all day. And I gave one to my friend because he was hungry. What a good guy I am. And then we went to Pet. There's a full crowd. That's our first game that we played away. We played quarters, pre quarters at home. There's a full crowd, a guy with a pylon, you know, it's high school. We come in, we get warmed up. There's five Team Ontario kids on the other side that are a year down, so they're younger than me, so I'm not that worried. But they're all play on Team Ontario. They're supposed to be really good. They also dominated their quarters and pre-quarters. So we go to the first set. They have, like, this little setter mashed up against me. All these people yelling. I'm loving it. I'm just OTing the setter. Like, we beat them pretty handily. I think it was like 25-21 or 25-20. I guess that's pretty close, but it was, we beat them pretty well, the energy. These guys in my ear with the pylon yelling right next to me and I'm crushing balls and turning to the crowd and screaming as hard as I can. Like, like just, why why am I wasting this energy? I don't know. I'm yelling at this guy to, you know, be like, you can't stop me. We win the second set. I'm, you know, doing all these things. Like when you score, point to the score, the guy's yelling at you, just point to the score, stuff like that. We win the second set, it's best of five. And then we go to the third set, it was 22-20. For us, we get a ball. The, the setter, Jack, awesome kid, he's just a school setter and he's a baller. He's never played, he plays basketball. He rolls his ankle off the set, lands, we don't get that point. And now the second setter is coming in. So we get the second setter, which is a school setter as well. He's never played a lick of ball on his life. So I'm just encouraging these guys as much as I can, like, you know, helping uplift them. Hey, you got this. Don't worry. You got this. Like, we're, you're getting subbed in at 21-22 in the third set of a semifinals. Boom. We lose that set. We go and we lost because I hit a serve into the net. I think it was like 24 I think it was like 24, 25. I went back and I spin served one into the net. We lose. They come back and win the fourth. Go to the fifth set. We lost 15-0. 15-0. I don't know if you ever met anybody that's lost 15-0. <laughs> 
And the first two balls go to me, triple block in system, roofed so hard, roofed so hard, and I'm just like, panic sets in. Oh, no, sorry. The first pass that we got up went to me, and I got triple blocked and just roofed. But before that, we shanked four in a row. We shanked four balls. Fifth ball comes to me, blocked. We go 8-0 on the switch. Everybody's in full panic. The coach, oh, Miss Irving, shout out to her. She was coached under her name. She kept her cool. Like, okay, guys, we got this. We're, we're getting 8-0, like, in the fifth set. What, what can you do as a coach? There's nothing you can do. You're powerless. It's like the most... It's, it's the worst feeling ever. Only coaches understand. But we lose that set 15-0. After that game happened, I was like, I'm going to play beach full time. It took two weeks of me hating volleyball where I didn't want to play any volleyball. Like two week, just, you know, like there's no other word than like bender. Like went on, just partied and ignored volleyball and didn't want to work out and you know, like I, I really was destroyed, destroyed. And I was going to beat Ben Stock's all-time scoring record, I think, at Richmond High School. And if we won that and I lost all these things, we we're going to go to offset for the first time since Josh was at my school. That was another thing. That destroyed me. So after two weeks, I messaged Josh. I'm like, dude, I need a, co- I need a coach. I need to train somewhere. Like, I need to get into beach. What, what can you do? He said, okay, I know this guy, Ish. Trainers at a North Beach can go there tomorrow. So I showed up the next day and I talked to Ish. I said, I want to train five days a week and I can come tomorrow and the next day and I'll keep doing it for the whole year. And Ish, honestly, like he started my entire like mastery for beach volleyball, not just playing beach volleyball, wanting to like understand the players, wanting to know the stories of who they are, what it took to get them to a certain point, and like, on it, like fall deeply in love with the idea of playing as a professional. Like I, I always wanted to play volleyball and play beach volleyball, but like I never thought I could do it professionally and indoor. So, like I committed to being a left side. So I, if I wanted to, I made that decision at 15, 16 U to be a left side instead of a libero. So I knew I was going to pursue something like that. And fish, I trained with him after that day. I showed up. I trained every single day. Five days a week turned into six days a week. I'd even go on the Saturday. And I would see Sam there all the time. And I would see all these guys. I was training like two hours from like 12 to 2. Then it turned to 12 to 3, like the third week in, because I'm now, I have like the beach legs that can actually last. 12 to 4, 12 to 5. And like that's how I met Alyssa, my girlfriend now, because she would train with him after school. She was doing indoor and beach at the same time and school. And she would show up there. So then that's how I actually met her is like, I would just end up training three, four hours. And I'd take an hour off. Then I'd train another two hours with the women's group. So like he started me down this path and I met my girlfriend through him. So like, I have so much love for Ish and like he developed my, you know, I don't know if you guys know Ish, but for the listeners that don't, he is like the funny, he's a five, nine, 50-inch vertical, as he says, black guy, lefty, just the funniest guy ever. He'll tell you a story about a random player you've never even heard of that's like, oh, man, he, he's just – he's amazing. Like, And the way that he coaches, too, fits me perfectly because I need – you know, I needed somebody at that time to be like, what are you doing? Like, do it like this. Don't do it like this. Do it perfectly. Like, don't 
be okay to just, you know, do it like this, like every single touch. And I drilled certain motions, like two hours, like just passing off a band to my right, to my left, forward, backwards, moving with the band, like just doing all that stuff on his 50th birthday. This man showed up on his 50th birthday. I'm doing box jumps. They're supposed to be. So what we do is 25. You have a band on. It's like a hundred pound band. You do 25 box jumps where you're just jumping like up and down where if you can imagine like two box next to, boxes next to your feet when you're like shoulder width apart, you're jumping up and then you're stand, standing on the boxes and then you jump back down. So I would do that 20 reps times four with the band, 20 reps times four without the band. He shows up on his 50th birthday. He's like, we're going to do 50. We're going to do sets of 50. So you're doing 50 banded jumps in the sand on boxes with a band on. And he went first. I'm holding a band. He's going to 20. He looks good. 30. He looks good. Slows down around 30, 40. He gets to 50. I'm like, okay, he's slowed down. I'm about to blast through this. So I start going and around like 20, 30, I'm, I, my head feels like I feel sick. I don't know what to throw up or I felt just sick. And somehow this guy at 50 years old is doing it. So I pushed through and did it, but that just like, kind of speaks to the kind of guy ish is, you know, he just, he's like one of those one in 10,000. He's a little bit funky, but like, I love it. Like, you know, that's what it takes to be the best. Like it really does. So when you look back on it, why was it important for you to like find your own coach and obviously hit it off with ish, but like get your own training group and do that? Because like uh, in your age group, like there are more and more beach clubs popping up or you could have went to the provincial team where it looks like you were like a self-starter and wanted to kind of figure out your own path. Like uh, looking back, why was that so important to you at the time? That's a good question. I don't know. I think like part of it was I didn't feel accepted a little bit by the other beach groups like everybody knows that beach is like very cliquey you know it has that aspect to it like everybody that i've talked to has felt that i don't know um and like especially the young kids that i coach they, they definitely feel that as well so i think i wanted to do it on my own because that's just how i was that's how i've been doing it like i didn't really know another way i didn't know that i could join the provincial team and just sign up and pay and like play team ontario i didn't know that i could like necessarily do those things and i was 19 you know like i wanted to take it full time josh told me hey this is the way you should do it and i just had faith like it, beach volleyball and especially as a guy that like is doing it independently the whole way like till now you have to have faith like you really need to believe in yourself fully and there's gonna be times where you doubt yourself and there's like man, is this worth my time? Like I'm doing all of this on my own. I'm paying to go to the here. I'm, you know, but you have to have like the vision and I think even at 19, I 16, 17, like I had the vision that I'm not stopping the sport. Something Pedlo told me is like, you know, why, why are you playing? And I said, Hey, I want to do this. I want to go to the Olympics in 2028. I want to go to the Olympics in 2032. It's like, okay, cool. But like once you do that, what what is left? And that kind of like made me realize, hey, this is a professional telling me this. So this is what he's learned in all of his time. I, I have to focus on just bettering myself physically, mentally, spiritually. That's why I'm playing beach volleyball. And then everything else is a process of that. Like, you know, it's sorry, it's an outcome of that process. Like I'm trying to better myself mentally, physically, spiritually. Everything else that happens is just an outcome of that. And it's hard doing it independent. Like 
you know, like if it weren't, honestly, and this is a shout out to you, like if it weren't for you, like wh- where would I train? There's no North Beach anymore. There's no Beach Blast. Like, yeah, sure. I've earned it at this point. Like, and that's a thing with independent beach. You have to become the best player you can be and beat other teams with maybe not as great of a partner right away. And you beat another team with your partner and you say, hey, you know, that guy's going to think, oh, well, I just lost with someone that I think that I'm against. Sorry, I lost against someone that I think I'm better than if I play with that guy and you just do it independently and slowly move up and slowly move up and slowly move up. And there's going to be times where you don't have partners. You have to stay, you know, focused independently. If you're just thinking, I want to win, I want to win, I want to do this to win provincials, to win nationals. Once you don't have a partner, what are you going to do? Or you don't have, you know, access to play. You don't make the provincial team, the national team, whatever. What are you going to do? Like, just going to stop playing volleyball. So like independent, doing it independent is very hard, but I think like, I want to, and even now we can maybe talk about like some ways for people to get started independently as beach volleyball, because I think it is really hard and we need to grow the sport and make the information for kids more accessible. Kids that aren't the stars now that aren't making the provincial team. Like how many people really knew about the provincial team, knew how to make it onto team Ontario. I think the kids that start playing volleyball on clubs like Thundercats or new clubs, like they don't know. Their parents are immigrants. Their first time here. They really don't know how to get onto these things. And even if they did, they're playing like seven grand sometimes to, you know, like do some some of this stuff or like two grand, three grand, one, even $1,200 is a vacation. Like, you know, so to spend that on sports is a privilege. Like we need to make it more accessible. Yeah, for sure. Like I think one thing that I, I love about beach volleyball is you pick who you want to play with and you 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 play the tournaments you want to play in, but that that puts a little bit of pressure on your family or guardian because you don't belong to a club. So it's kind of like, hey, mom, I want to play beach volleyball. She's like, okay, so she has to do the research and figure out how to do it versus like as an indoor athlete, they just get you to a club and the club takes you to tournaments and does all the competition planning. We're like the, the beach thing. I love it because you are in control of your schedule, but as a young athlete, it kind of means that you need help, right? So uh, what would you recommend to younger athletes? Because you're right, the provincial team isn't for everybody and not everybody comes from a club that offers beach programming. So for these kids to, to truly love it or to even get the opportunity to play, like looking back at your process, what would you recommend kids do other than, you know, trusting their, their guardian to get on the Google machine and try to figure it out? Wow, that's such a good point. Like that, I've never heard it verbalized like that. It's so true that like your parent, you're putting it on your parents to figure it out. That's the issue. The kid's job is to figure it out. You're the one that needs to go and you have the access to the internet. You could just as easily spend three hours on TikTok, spend 25 minutes looking at the OVA website. You'll figure it out. And if you don't spend 35 minutes, 45 minutes, it's like you'll figure it out if you really look and you have the drive and message me, like (laughs) message me, message Josh, message guys that you can find anybody shoot, send out message. That's such a big thing that like, I would not be playing with my partner now if I didn't send out messages to every single player saying, hey, do you guys want to train against us? And I set up training groups for two years with me and Trent, my old partner, and we just played against anybody that we could, you know, like old guys, new guys, everybody. We didn't turn away any reps, right? So, like, I think it's a big thing to hit people up. Hey, do you have any advice for me to do this? And I think, like, just trying to find the right people to spread the knowledge Other than that, like, yeah, go and look yourself. You're 15, 16, whatever, like, even if you're 14, you can go on the OVA website and figure out how to 
you know, click on one of the events and go and it'll be awful the first time, maybe, right? Like, what's the worst thing that can happen? You do terribly? Okay, cool. You have other people at that tournament now that you can ask, hey, how does this tournament work? This is my first time doing this. There's people that run it. There's so much great staff, honestly, like in the OVA, they're super friendly. Like the guys that run in Oakland and stuff like that, like send them an email and they'll explain it to you. Like, they'll, or set up a call. Hey, can I call you for five, 10 minutes and, you know, ask you some questions about how I play beach volleyball? Yeah, it's not the parents' job. Like I tell my kids that all the time. They have like parents immigrating from like, you know, like, Anyway, like Nigeria, you got four siblings and you want your dad to look up how to like put you on volleyball when you're 16 years old. You're 16. Like, come on, man. Back when he was 16, he probably like went and got a job and worked and stuff like that. So this is your responsibility. If you want to do this stuff, like you really got to like take it upon yourself. No one else is going to do it for you. One day your mom is not going to want to sign you up or you're just not going to play. Like, you know, it has to be from the kid themselves, I think. For sure. For sure. There was uh, one beach event I did want to talk to because I also want to jump ahead to some coaching stuff. Uh, man, we got a lot of cut to for this interview, but uh, you and Trent, uh, you have a good Norseca trials in the summer there. You also have a, a good provincials and nationals. So then uh, later on in the season there, you get nominated to go to Norseca and represent Canada at the U23. What was that like? Because I, I find Norsecas are like the perfect storm of emotions where you're probably, I don't, I don't want to say put words in your mouth, but you're probably excited that you get to represent Canada, but then you're kind of like, wait, how do I get there? When does the tournament start? What does the draw happen? Like, it's just this perfect storm. But uh, just to quickly just update me on your summer leading into that U23 opportunity to play internationally. Yeah, like, so for all of the guys that want to start independently, you have to play an open Norseca. You want to play um, internationally or you want to rank yourself amongst can. Canada and Canadian players. You play a trials that ranks you within Canada against other teams. And that's how you get nominated in that order of that. How you finish is how you get nominated for the continental tour that we have in Canada to get points. Right. So, um, for the viewers. So we played the open North Seca. We got fourth place, which was like amazing. I, I wanted third or second or first, but we got fourth place, which was really good for me and Trent. Like, we were super happy with it. We got nominated for the event. Like we had a good amount of time. I think you told us like a good amount of time ahead. So we had a lot of time to prepare. Um, and we're asking around and like all the stories you've heard with Norseka and like Taylor Crab or stuff like that, posting things. I was scared, but they told me like came in as the best event. Um, so I was doing like lots of sauna training. I was, warming up like we were doing I was spin serving all the way up to the tournament then we go out to Cayman Islands I'm dying of heat like the Friday that we practice against Jamaica I'm there dying like I couldn't even move everything I'm float serving I'm popping in float serves it's so windy like there was a lot of things that we had to adjust to um but I think like it was also a good warm-up tournament like internationally for me and Trent like the teams that were supposed to show up didn't show up a lot like a lot of them there's seven teams or like nine teams or something like that um there wasn't that many teams so that also helped us and like we knew hey we're Canada like playing us Aruba and Jamaica and certain some of these teams like we were a little bit worried but I think at that point of my like after nationals once we played the nationals and I played against Josh I was like a big milestone. I finally got to play against this guy that came in and talked to me when I was 14 years old. Now I'm playing against him. That kind of made me feel really like at ease. I understood how to control the refs, new refs, like not control, but you know, influence and 
So right away, like carried myself like a professional. They see that. And yeah, we got the result that we got. So it was, it was honestly a really good experience. And I think it was the best start to a Norseka tour you could get. Yeah. I think Cayman's beautiful and I don't think anything too silly happened. Like we've had some great Norseka stories on the show where I think yours was uneventful in terms of like, I can't believe this is real life. How is this happening? But, uh, I did want to bring up that, uh, because it was only two pools, obviously you're going to play almost everybody. Like there's going to be opportunities, but uh, you guys had a little bit of foreshadowing there where you played basically the final in pool play and then saw those cats again. But the reason I want to bring that up is they 15 and 17, you guys in about 45 minutes, the first time you played them. And then the, the, in the final, it goes to a deep third setter. Like I think they beat you 23, 21, you come back and beat them 17 and then you play deep into the third and it's over an hour match. So uh, I'm curious, it's tough to beat the same team twice at a tournament. Like, what changed did you guys get more comfortable how did you survive the heat in so many matches like take me through uh kind of creating a mini rivalry against this states team that you played twice so it's pretty simple we were split blocking against them in the pool play so (laughs) i'm just getting ot'd like just getting abused it worked against all the other teams and we're saving energy so that chen could run up theoretically right and then just they destroyed us they hammered us pretty good and yeah, I don't know. Like, I think in the last game, we just looked at each other and we just like knew like, okay, you know, like you're going to full-time block. I'm going to full-time defend and we're going to like beat these guys. And then we just lost. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was a really good like rivalry. The guy, the left side player, oh no, sorry, the right side, they're both younger than us. The left side was wearing a fedora. Okay. <laughs> a fedora. He's from Texas. So this guy's like, he has a t-shirt on under the Jersey and a fedora and he's bawling out and he's got like these thick goofy glasses and the right side guy is the nicest kid I've ever seen in my life from Colorado and like nicest kid I've ever seen in my life comma from Colorado <laughs> and he got in my head I, I can't like lie he actually got in my head like I like getting a little angry and chippy with the other teams and the first point I was I dug him and I transitioned and I stared at him and he just like Great shot, man. Great shot. And just high five me. I'm like, what? What is ha- What is happening? And I'm side switching, like going way around the pole. After we make a nice play, going way around, head down, and he's like following me to make sure he gets his daps. And I'm just like, shit. I have to dab him now. Like I'm not gonna be a bad guy. Like the volleyball gods don't like that. Right? Like don't just put your hand out and pull it away or some shit. Like I'm not that type of guy. I'm either gonna just completely ignore you or give you high five. So I was like, okay, fine. Give him dabs all the way around. I would I hit one. I remember I bounced one on him and I landed under the net. Like I landed on his feet and I just grilled him. I just stood at the net and I'm just watching it. He's like, you landed on my feet. And I was like, Yeah. He's like, that's okay, man. Good swing. <laughs> like, damn, why are you so nice? Oh, God. That guy threw me off. I was going to say, for anyone listening, uh, this is maybe the secret to beat Ruse Bay is don't engage. Don't start chirping back. Like, be too nice. And then he doesn't know where to go. Yeah. Oh, my God. He actually got me to fold up. I was like, what is happening? Like, I, I couldn't even keep chirping him because it wasn't working. It was just he was just saying nice things back. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So congratulations, your first international event. Uh, you make the final, you take home a silver. Uh, also a good event because I think Ruby and Kaylee finished second as well. So the Americans, they outdid us a little bit by winning both, but uh, it's never a bad tournament for Canada for in the final for both. So congratulations on that. Uh, I did want to jump ahead to your coaching because like you said, when you were at Durham, you were 
missioning back to coach a practice. You're still coaching these days. And uh, I got to say, as an onlooker, uh, I've coached club a long time. Usually the guys who play are the ones who like demand, oh, I only want to coach 17 or 18. You know, I want to coach good players because they like they have that competitive spirit. But maybe in the back of their mind, they know they're not that good of a teacher. We're like, you're coaching like 14 you and 15 you this year. And you're not demanding to work with the best players. We're like, you don't mind being in the gym with like the, the monkeys who don't want to listen and just want to run around and bounce balls. So like, where did you find your joy for coaching and just working with younger athletes? Because like I said, you're not demanding to work with the premier teams only because uh, you've accomplished so much in your career. Like, yeah. I'll coach whoever wants to play volleyball. Yeah, I think it's it's easy to coach the players that are already the best, right? Like I know some coaches that are always doing that. Like I'll no, I would rather build myself up with the young kids and learn like again, like the mastery of coaching. Like you need to be able to teach it from the ground up to understand everything. And if you can I think like you said, it's very it takes a very specific type of person to be able to coach those young kids and all I'm thinking about every single day that I'm going to coaching and I'm tired and is like, there is one of me out there that, or someone like me from like that wants to do this full time that wants to, that loves this sport, but just needs a little bit of guidance. Like that little shitter that's running around, like that doesn't want to listen that, you know, maybe acts out or tries to be like the funny person and stuff. That was me. Whatever those kids can do, I was 10 times worse. There's no kid that I've met that was anything close to what I was at that time, like what I had going on. And I meet so many kids that have certain situations, home situations, things like that, like me. I'm like, I'm not here to coach just volleyball. Like I love it because it's more about like the person to me. When I coach, it's like, you're going to be a good person. You're going to learn how to deal with everything like that comes with sports, being on time, having a routine, like I'm late for everything in my life except volleyball. Nothing, never am I late for volleyball if it's in my control. I'm always there 30 minutes ahead if I can be, especially for coaching too, because it's so important how your coach sets the standard, like holding these kids to a higher standard. I don't get paid more to hold a 14 new girls team to a standard that is like a premier standard, right? I could just show up and collect my check. And why would I stress myself out to sign up for extra defensive tournaments or sign up for extra but it's because i really do think like you're changing kids lives the first time he ever steps onto a volleyball court the first coach they ever have like they're gonna remember you right and like you don't know what it is that you could say to them that could offset their entire career a completely different way a kid that was going one way you could change their life so and i've had those experiences even the first year anybody that coaches will know the first year if how much you put into it is how much you're going to get in back from everything in life. But if you really care about the kids and you show them, they can feel it and they respond to your energy so well, especially like being like a young boy. And I coach like young girls teams, like they're so responsive, so responsible. Like you can hold them to a standard to show up at this time, you know, be a certain way, do this, do that. Like, and they really like, you're setting standards for this person's life until they're 20, 21. They, they have kids and they're going to always remember coach taught me show up at this time. Coach taught me, you know, run when you're doing something like have some urgency or, you know, like those things are what kind of drive me. Yeah. That's so cool to hear. And just to, to get your thoughts, because 
I don't think you were part of the first wave of Thundercats, but you were definitely an early adopter in terms of like who was there. Like I think uh, Keaton's team would have been maybe one of the first at Thundercats, but uh, just tell me what that club's doing. It's obviously a very popular area for volleyball, but how has the club obviously grown and changed over the years that you've seen uh, kind of the first year you entered there as maybe like a 16 year kid to what you see as a coach now? Yeah, thanks. I think like when I first, I think, Tien started the uh, director of Thundercats. He started this club as a high school, t- like he's a teacher at a Montessori school, sorry. He's an elementary school teacher. And there was kids that were at his school that were trying out for teams that couldn't make a team and they had nowhere to play, right? They were like trying out for Durham or like Stingers or stuff like that. And Stingers has three, four teams and, you know, like didn't have good management. So Tien started this club just for one specific year of kids to play volleyball. And he just wanted to do it to like break even and have him play. So he started that. And then, yeah, Keegan's year, Alessandro, those guys, um, Patrick, they played, I think they got like, they started like 27th or something out of like 30 or like one of the lowest teams. And they finished like fifth or fourth at Probs one year. And like, yeah, they, they came up and after that we were doing grassroots and stuff like that. And I think, 15U, we didn't have like a super solid team. We had two players that were just really good. Um, we got fourth at a couple tournaments and premier and stuff like that. We were we were hanging in there. Um, I think traditionally, like the boys' side of Thundercats has been better. The girls' teams are still lacking, and we're still we need to work on that and get them to premier level. We got a 14U girls team now, Alyssa's team, and I coach the B team, right? I coach, I don't even coach the 14U A team. I coach the 14U B team. They're pretty good, those girls. But, like, the culture and the boys' side has been established with, with, like, Keaton's year, Alessandro's year. Now we get, like, guys at 13 that I got, like, we went and saw Daniil. I remember Daniil was playing 13U Beach Blast Tournament. Me and Robbie were playing as, like, 18U or whatever. And we go there and watch him, and he's so frustrated and angry. And, like, these teams have started with, like, two players that stayed and the core guys that stay and just add additional pieces. Like, you see all these top teams are teams that have the commitment to be, like, we're together till 18U. Once you show that commitment, other players will start to join in on that and be like, these guys are so close, they're committed, they want to go to 18U together. That's how you add additional pieces. And, like, guys like Daniil definitely help. You get, like, a random 6 9 14 year old you're like what is like that will definitely help getting more of those kids but i think like yeah his this year now 18 years the first year that thundercats like winning first in premier gold we've never had teams winning gold in premier like this is the first time that they won gold in grand prix like thundercats as a, as a club so it's definitely like a new club that we're looking to hopefully expand and get more more guys like that like when they stay the coach of that team is the guys in Keaton's year. So they stayed and they coached Alessandro and Patrick Zimpanu. Um, they they stayed and they coached that team. So now they're up at that level and we're hopefully going to have kids that are 18 you're going to come back and coach and keep the cycle alive. Yeah, that, that's so cool to hear because when you say a young club, I think at most this is year 10. I don't even know if it's been around for 10 years, has it? I think, yeah. At most, yeah. This might be year 10. This year might be year 10. Wow. Yeah. So obviously seeing big things for a club that, like you said, started because a passionate volleyball coach is just like, oh, you guys don't have a team to play for? I'll start a team. Like, that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, He's one of my mentors as well. Like him and 
ish, and these guys have really changed like the trajectory of that's what I mean. This one one person is all it takes. Yeah, man, it's it's so cool. We'll have to get you back on because I'm sure you still got a lot of stories. But I'm just looking at the clock, and I've taken a lot of your time. But uh, one tradition we've built on the show is just to tell a funny or unique where it sounds like volleyball has given you a lot of opportunities, and you've obviously given back. But uh, something odd or funny must have happened along the way that you could share a funny story before we let you go. Oh man, odd or funny? I mean, there's like a, the 15 zero was very odd, but the I think some other stories like at nationals a couple years just. My mom is on the lines and calling balls in that are 40 feet out. We end up losing the game, right? The other team, so I'm sitting down on one bench. I don't know if this is funny or odd, more like stupid, but whatever. I'm sitting down on this bench and we lost, so I'm heads down. And our stuff is on the opposite bench. So now their team comes over here. They're talking and I hear them and... They're like, man, that Lions woman is terrible or whatever. They said something, and I just like, hey, man, that's my mom. He's like, you should never let her do Lions again or something like that. And then I don't know what happened. A went to B, and just an eruption. Like, there's four, five, big six, four, six, five dudes, and I'm just like in the middle, like, what did you say? Well, I like yelling and stuff. And the parents, their parents are getting involved. The kids' parents are like, yeah, get him, like, whatever, like, trying to egg, egg him on. Yeah. And like, oh, I, that kid's a cheater or whatever and this and that. And they're like yelling. And I've had so many weird stories, like, where people just, I don't, they just explode at, like, these certain moments. And it was almost a fight. It was literally almost a fight in the middle of nationals. Um, and... Yeah, I guess that's an odd story. I don't know if that's a good one, though. It, it's just so strange that as our sport continues to grow, like, I think, like, that stuff starts to leak in. We're just, like, weird. Like, it's unusual when that happens, but I think it's because, obviously, people are transferring from other sports or you just, like, rule of numbers as the sport grows, you're going to get, like, more people. But, like, yeah, that stuff should just never happen at a volleyball gym in my mind. Yeah, I don't know. I don't even know if that's a good one. I there's probably something better, but <laughs> no, man, all good. Yeah. I, I, again, I, I get to work with you almost every week. It feels like, and I thought I knew your story, but it was cool to get you on the show and tell even more behind the scenes and, and hear about how you got to where you are and, and hear how grateful you are to some people that really helped you out. So yeah, man, thanks for coming on the show and sharing all you did. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Let me use this platform and talk to you. Like, even if this doesn't like go up, I like, like the times talking to you and getting to know you and you getting to know me more as a person. So I appreciate it. Thanks buddy. Yeah.